I'd like to introduce our first speaker of the morning, Dr. Leon Kurtzik. He is an associate clinical professor of dermatology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York, and also at the Indiana University Research Center in Indianapolis, Indiana. In addition, he's also the medical director of Derm Research and Physician Skin Care in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Kurtzik earned his medical degree from the State University of New York in Brooklyn and was chief dermatology resident at the State University of New York Health Sciences Center. Finally, he is an, a senior associate editor at the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology and serves on the editorial board of Journal of Clinical and Aesthetic Dermatology, Skin, and Aging. Dr. Kurtzik. Thank you, Susan. Good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for inviting me back to your annual meeting. It's uh, really uh, great to be here. It's great to, be, uh, to see a lot of familiar faces. Now, this morning, we're going to discuss a little bit of acne and pathophysiology of acne, but mostly we're going to concentrate on retina micro with the emphasis on the micro, emphasis on the microsphere. You know, microsphere has been around for a long time, but we still have some misconceptions about the microsphere technology that I'd like to discuss. Um, I think acne is a, um, really one of the most common diseases that we see in, uh, in dermatology. It probably affects more than uh, 40 to 50 million Americans, uh, and uh, it does have a great psychosocial impact uh, on our patients. Uh, back in 1948, Sulzberger, which was one of the biggest dermatologists at NYU, uh, he did mention that the impact, the psychosocial impact of acne is really uh, tremendous on our patients. Um, now, the pathophysiology of acne is multifactorial, and we really don't know exactly how all the different aspects interact with each other. But we certainly don't know to a certain degree that you have increased sebum production, you have P-acne's involvement, as well as the end result of the P-acne's involvement, you have the inflammatory cytokines and the inflammation that goes on, in addition to the follicular um, discrimination as well as the alteration of what we call the follicular epithelial cells that causes the plugging of the hair follicle. So the bottom line is that it is multifactorial. That's why we do need actually um, multi-treatment, different treatment aspects of it. Now, the whole, um, the mother of all the acne lesions is microcomedone. I think we already know that that has been established. And then from the microcomedone, you go into the open or closed comedones, what we call the non-inflammatory lesions, which actually we are finding out that they also have even inflammation now. And then we go on to the inflammatory lesions, papules, pustules, nodules. But really, there is inflammation involved from the get-go now, even at the microcomedone uh, step. Uh, P-acnes is absolutely there, but it's not an infectious agent. It's really has a, it really has a more inflammatory role in acne rather than an infectious role. Um, however, that role, it's not clear yet, because if you look at patients, if you take adult patients with acne, 
And if you take adult pe uh, pe people without acne, they may have equal amount of P-acneous colonization. So how does P-acneous play a role in those patients? We don't know. On the other hand, if you take teenagers with acne and you compare their P-acneous amount, the colonization is certainly more than that teenagers without acne. So P-acneous plays a role, but we're not exactly sure how much of a role it is. But it certainly does cause inflammation. Now, um, you know, we all see those patients in our offices every day, and most of the time I, I see the teenagers, you know, they are looking at the ceiling, at the floor, they are not making eye contact. I sort of sometimes feel like shaking them and like, look at me, have eye contact, I want, I want to make sure that you're listening to me, you know. But these patients are really um, psychologically uh, impaired in the sense that they are embarrassed, they don't want to have eye contact, um, you know, the boyfriend-girlfriend relationships are uh, not that good because of the, their faces, uh, the way they look like. So there's a lot of psychosocial impact on them. Uh, this was never really confirmed. We do a lot of the daily dermatology quality life index questionnaires when we do acne trials, but we have never done it in a uh, overall with regular patients. So there was one landmark survey study that they did and they looked at it. When you look at those numbers, you can see that self-confidence in those teenagers with acne, it's really impaired, as well as uh, mood, lifestyle, social relationships, they are really affected by their acne. You ask uh, dermatology providers, I think everybody agrees on that. That was, not a, um, uh, that was not a new finding, that we all agree that acne does negatively impact patients' self-confidence, their social life, uh, their psychological well-being. Uh, almost uh, more than 90% of uh, dermatology providers also agree that, you know, acne is not a teenager's issue. I see a lot of adult females with acne in my office. I see adult men too, but more adult females. So acne is really not a teenager's issue, even though it does affect a lot of the teenagers. On the other hand, most third-party payers don't agree with that, right? If you write a um, tretinoin prescription for somebody who's older than 22 or 24, they're going to deny it, thinking that that's for wrinkles and not for acne. So it's very important for us to show that acne is really a real disease. It's not a cosmetic issue. With the changing um, um, healthcare regulations, that might be an issue, and that's going to affect us as dermatology providers. So it's really, really important to fight for our patients. Um, the other thing is acne disease itself, it, to me, it's difficult, but it's not as devastating as the sequela of acne. Because what happens? The scarring after acne, it's much more devastating to our patients. And then if you have patients with uh, skin of color, I have about 35 to 40% of my patient uh, population is African-American. The first thing they ask me is the blemishes. They don't complain of the acne. They say, is there something I can do for my blemishes? I think the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, it's very, very disturbing to patients with skin of color. And the best way I, I actually the, deal with it, I tell them that, you know, you want to prevent that. The way you want to prevent that is to prevent acne, basically then you're going to be able to prevent the PIH. But I think the scarring and the PIH, the sequela of acne, it's much more devastating than the disease itself. 
and by definition they are permanent. It's very difficult. You know, you can't get rid of the scarring unless you do fancy cosmetic procedures, and even then that's not a guarantee. The same way dealing with PIH, it's very, very difficult. So the sequela of acne, I think it's very devastating. Now, there is no question in my mind that nobody in this room uh, thinks that acne is a cosmetic problem. Everybody agrees that uh, acne is a really health care issue. But there are a lot of people out there, they think acne is a cosmetic issue, should not be treated as a medical problem. So again, it's very, very important and it's upon us to convince out there, especially the third party payers, that this is really a medical issue. It does affect patients in many different ways and it does impact them negatively. Now, uh, so the bottom line is, in summary, you have a big healthcare issue that affects actually 50 million Americans that we're dealing with as dermatology providers. And um, it does have a sequela that impacts our patients uh, drastically, that being the scarring and the PIH. So if we can prevent acne, we can prevent the sequela of acne, then uh, I think we'll have a win-win situation. So as I already mentioned, the mother lesion of all acne lesions is microcomedone. And the way to prevent micro microcomedone is to use retinoids. So the retinoids have always been and will always be part of treatment of acne. You can classify acne in many different ways, inflammatory, non-inflammatory, cystic, mild, moderate, severe. It doesn't matter how you classify it you do need the treatment with the retinoids. That's the bottom line, to prevent the microcomedone formation. Then, depending on the severity of the degree of the acne, you can add on your other stuff, topical uh, antibiotics. Of course, benzoyl peroxide is very, very important. With benzoyl peroxide, you're almost addressing the three out of the four pathophysiologic processes. So it's anti-comedogenic, it's an anti-inflammatory, and of course it's an antibiotic, and it does prevent antibiotic resistance. It helps you to use topical or oral antibiotics by, um, without, uh, without uh, creating antibiotic resistance. So benzoyl peroxide is also very important, and then depending on the severity of acne, of course you're gonna add oral antibiotics, and then if you have cystic acne, I think there is no question, you're going to be using isotretinoin. Unfortunately, prescribing isotretinoin in this country now, it's more difficult than prescribing OxyContin. So that's a whole different issue. Now, uh, when you look at the retinoids, uh, tretinoin is the uh, first retinoid that has been around in the market for many years now. And it's the natural occurring retinoid. It's interesting. The other second, what I call the second generation retinoids, such as adaplin and tazaratin, are the synthetic analogs of the retinoids. So tretinoin not only has anti-comedogenic effect, but also direct and indirect anti-inflammatory effect. Remember what I said originally, there is inflammation even in non-inflammatory lesions. That's proven now. Even when you look at the microcomedon stage, if you do biopsies in the normal perilesional skin, you're gonna find T cells, you're gonna find inflammatory cytokines. So it's important that you have something anti-inflammatory. And tretinoin does have that anti-inflammatory effect in addition to the anti-comedogenic effect. 
Where does the anti-inflammatory effect come from? From the toll-like risk by affecting toll-like receptors number two. So it does decrease the amount or the expression of the toll-like receptors and therefore decrease the pro-inflammatory cytokines expressed by those receptors. So again, it, is, uh, it does have anti-inflammatory effect. The molecular mechanism of action of tretinoin offers insight into the unique tolerability and efficacy profile of Retin-A micro, a novel formulation of tretinoin gel for the treatment of inflammatory and non-inflammatory acne vulgaris. While the exact mechanism of action of tretinoin remains to be elucidated, current evidence suggests that topical retinoids target the microcomedone and lead to a decrease in comedones and inflammatory lesions. Tretinoin normalizes desquamation of the follicular epithelium by promoting detachment of carotinocytes and shedding of corneocytes. Comedone contents are extruded and the formation of new comedones is reduced. Tretinoin's indirect effects on inflammation occur as the result of unplugged follicles, which are less anaerobic and more accessible to the penetration of antimicrobial agents. This reduces the growth of P. acnes as well as the presence of its pro-inflammatory mediators. Okay, this is so unfair to me, guys. You heard that guy with his nice British accent, and now you're going to listen to me. <laughs> it's just not right. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to look at the retina micro, and um, you go back all the way to 1971. That's where the first retina started in the liquid formulation. And by 1997, we had a new um, formulation, the microsphere, retina micro, or the microsphere formulation. I cannot emphasize enough the difference between the microsphere formulation and the old retina. And we're going to discuss this further with more emphasis on that micro, the difference or the advantages of the microsphere formulation. Then by 2006, they have another delivery system that is the pump. And the, really the pump addresses the issue of tolerability with controlled release. Now, um, the, the pump, it's a, you know, the treatment, let me just back up for a second, the treatment of, uh, of acne with retinoids always has a challenge because of the tolerability. And one reason of the tolerability issue, people always, they think that more is better and they use more of the retinoids or any of the drug that you give it to them. Uh, you know, the patients are funny. They think that the more they use, they, the better they're going to get. And unfortunately, you have that uncontrolled usage of the retinoids, which does increase the irritation naturally. So the pump, what pump enables you, the patient to do really with a controlled dispensing system, uh, it makes life much easier and it makes it it prevents the overuse of the product, and therefore, it does decrease the irritation. Otherwise, it's exactly the same drug, right? In the tube or in the pump, but somehow, with the pump, we get much better results. And I'm gonna discuss this further with the study, community-based study that we did, but even in my personal experience in my office, Patients love the pump and they say it doesn't irritate me. It's really not that the drug doesn't irritate, it's just that the overusage is prevented, that's why. Now, microsphere delivery, it's very, very important. It's a unique technology. It is totally different than the old retina. 
And what it does is it's a polymeric system. It does have some porous membrane and it does have the active in, in those areas and then in those little pockets and then it gets released slowly in a controlled fashion and therefore it does prevent that um, burst effect which causes the irritation. So really it does prevent the irritation by delayed and controlled release and this is the most important uh, advantage of the microsphere. Um, and then it gets, uh, when the tretinoin is in that, uh, in the um, micropores, uh, microspheres, they get um, released by some kind of a stimuli, either the pH change or the temperature change when you put it on the skin. So therefore it does cause the uh, slow release and therefore it does uh, cause the controlled release and decreases the irritation. I think this is very, very important. But more importantly, more importantly, we have been affected by the myth that you know you should use the retina at night because it is um, it makes you photosensitive and it gets degraded, right? If it's exposed to the light, it gets degraded. It's not stable anymore. Well, that's true for the old uh, retina. That's true for your generic retina, but that is not true for your microsphere formulation. I don't care when you use it. It not, it's not going to get degraded. Also, microsphere decreases the oiliness and facial shine. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the active in it. It's just a microsphere because it's a polymer. It somehow absorbs that oil and decreases the facial shine. There are studies that shows that, not only for retina micro, but also for benzoyl peroxide products that has been in a microsphere. So it has nothing to do with the active that is the microsphere technology. Now, so, okay, the myth is that if you use, um, if you use uh, Retin-A uh, in the morning, then you go out in the sun and the UV is going to make that Retin-A, uh, make it unstable. Uh, well, that is not true. We have proven that if you take Retin-A micro versus generic tretinoin and you put it, uh, you, you expose it to either regular light or the ultraviolet light, I think the UV light is even more important here to look at. Two hours later here, you have still 94% of the drug activity. Six hours later, you have 84%. Versus with the generic Retin-A, 19% uh, versus 10% here six hours later. So basically, if you take generic Retin-A and go out in the sun or expose it to UVB light, you're going to have six hours later only 10% of activity or two hours later less than 20%. Versus with retina micro, 94% two hours later, 84% six hours later. It is very, very important to remember that. And that is due to the microsphere technology. Now, the next issue is, you always heard, benzoyl peroxide is a very unstable product. We cannot mix and match with any retinoids or we cannot mix and match with a lot of stuff. Well, that is true if you take the generic retin-A, the not microsphere retin-A, the old one. But if you take the retin-A micro and mix it and then even expose it to UV light with benzoyl peroxide, I'm sorry, this is a erythromycin benzoyl peroxide, this is benzamycin. So this was done years ago and it was published in Cutis back in 
2006. So you take retina micro and mix it with benzamycin gel versus generic retina and mix it with benzamycin gel. Expose it to light. Two hours later, you only have 7% of your generic retina versus 89% of your retina micro. Six hours later, the whole generic retina is gone. The retinoin is gone versus 81% of retina micro is still there. Now, if you don't believe me, we have done a study, because I sort of was critical of that too. We have done a study called the SAMBA study, which was just published at JDD. So what we did was we assigned two groups. One group got uh, benzoyl peroxide in the morning and then retina micro in the evening versus the other group got one on top of another. We put benzoyl peroxide and retina micro one on top of another and look at efficacy. Guess what you find? They are equally efficacious. So by using the uh, benzoyl peroxide and retina one on top of another, you are not losing any efficacy in lesion count, both inflammatory and non-inflammatory. So that study has been published, that was a multi-center study, and that has been published at JDD. So the bottom line is, forget about the myth that you cannot mix and match with benzoyl peroxide or you cannot expose it to light. Yes, you can with the retina micro. Yes, you can mix it. Yes, you can put it in the morning and go out in the sun. The microsphere unit selectively localizes to the follicle holding the tretinoin in reservoir away from the skin and limiting the potential for irritation. As the skin draws tretinoin from the vehicle, the vehicle renews tretinoin concentration by drawing from the microsphere. The controlled release and penetration of tretinoin over time helps prevent the potentially irritating burst effect and reduces facial shine, a common complaint of acne sufferers. The Retin-A Micro-Microsphere 0.04% pump offers the proven efficacy of tretinoin with less associated irritation. Okay, back to my accent, guys, sorry. <laughs> now, we're going to discuss the pump study, okay? The pump study is a real-world study. Um, all the studies that we do to get drugs approved are monotherapy against a placebo. And, you know, those are done to get drugs approved for FDA purposes. But in real life, usually those clinical trials don't reflect real life. You know, there's this gap between clinical trial and the real life practicing dermatology. I like this study because this is a community-based study. It, was, it basically reflects what we do in our offices every day. This was one of the biggest community-based trials, 544 patients, multi-center, and the only condition to get in was you had to have mild to moderate acne and you weren't happy with your treatment. So it happens every day, right? Patient comes and says, hey, doc, you've been seeing me for the last three months, or I've been going to Dr. Joe Shumo, and he's treating me. I'm not happy. I'm not getting any better. Give me something else. So this study really reflects that. Patients had mild to moderate acne. They were not happy with their treatment. So this is where they got the um, uh, study drug in this case, and also it wasn't monotherapy. They were able to use whatever drug they want in addition to this. For example, they could have been on a benzoyl peroxide, they could have been on a combination benzoyl peroxide clindamycin, or they could have been on oral antibiotic, just the same way that we do in, uh, in our offices. The only thing they couldn't have is another retinoid. 
So they couldn't be unwritten in micro at the same time with Tazerac or with different. That was the only exclusion, okay? And then we look at their, um, what we call um, modified uh, GAC score. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. Oh, well, right here, there. So it was an easy way of um, evaluating those patients. And the GAC score, it's um, very easy to do it. It's not a real um, clinical, difficult clinical trial tool. It didn't involve pimple counting. What it did was, uh, if somebody had more than, let's say, one lesion, uh, one or more comedone, the grading was one. If somebody has one or more nodules, the grading was four and everything else in between. And then each area of the face was assigned a factor uh, of the surface area. For example, forehead was two, each cheek was two, and then chin and nose was one. So let's say if you had one um, or more comedone on the chin, it's one time one is one, so the score was one. And then you did that for every area, and you add them up, and you came up with your GAG score. So at baseline, and by the way, you could use retina micro 0.04 or 0.1, or you could switch back and forth. It didn't matter. It was all within the uh, investigator judgment. So it's just like real life again, because you know, patient calls and says, hey, this drug you gave me is irritating me. We tell them, go back, use it every other day or every third day. Um, that's how it was done. So at the baseline, the GAG score was 13.3 with the 0.04, and it went down to 9. So that was a difference of 4.2 reduction. That was statistically significant within the group. If you look at the 0.1 group, again, that was about reduction of a 4.7, a little bit different, a little bit more than the 0.04, but also statistically significant uh, within the group. So both groups did statistically significantly well um, um, with either 0.04 or 0.1. If you look at the mild-moderate distribution, you can see that almost um, uh, more than 50%, about 55% of the patients were moderate, about 45% of the patients were mild, and then at the end of the study, only 20% uh, was moderate, so that 55% went down to moderate, and most of the moderates became mild, and then a, about 5% or so were almost clear. And you know, it's very, very difficult to get people 100% clear, no matter what, they're gonna have one or two comedones or uh, papules. The uh, patient satisfaction was three times greater uh, at the end of the study compared to the beginning of the study. Almost 95% of the patients reported high compliance. And what that means is when you have high compliance, that means that you have high tolerability. Because if the patients cannot tolerate something, they're not gonna use it. So there was high tolerability, tolerability as well as um, quality of life issues, social psychological issues were improved. Couple of pictures here. The circled areas basically presents a cluster of the uh, lesions and then at week uh, 12, at the end of the study, which was a 12-week study, it shows the clearance. You can see that the GAG score, for example, in this kid went from nine to six, but he was very happy. How do I know that? Because the visual analog score, VAS, went from one to eight. Uh, the higher the number on that one, the better they feel, and so that made a big improvement for him. Uh, here's some other patient. Again, the GAG score went from 13 to 6. Here you have almost uh, more than 50% improvement. 
and then the VAS score from, uh, went from two to eight. Um, let's look at the adverse events just, but before we look at those, uh, let me tell you a little bit about, about what adverse event means. Whenever you do a clinical study, anything that goes wrong with that patient, you have to report it to FDA. That's called adverse event. For example, if the kid falls from the tree, breaks his arm, goes to the hospital, that's the adverse event. If the wife beats the husband, gets bruising, that's an adverse event. That doesn't mean that it's related to retina micro, unless maybe the guy's face got better and he got a girlfriend on the side, that's why wife beat him up. So that might be related to retina micro. But the bottom line is anything that goes wrong has to be repaired, reported doesn't mean that it's related to the study drug. The only thing here you can see at the bottom, one patient out of the 544 dropped out of the study because of the peeling. So that's related to the study drug, but only one patient. When you look at the tolerability also, you compare it to the baseline and at the end, and you look at erythema, you look at dryness, peeling, burning, stinging, and itching. Burning, stinging, and itching are reported by the patient. Uh, dryness, peeling, and erythema are reported by the investigator. As you can see, there wasn't any difference at the baseline versus at the end, except with the slight to normal dryness, there was a little bit more at the end of the study compared to baseline. So the bottom line is you have a real-life study here uh, that shows that patient, uh, both efficacy-wise and tolerability-wise, they did really well with retina micro pump, either 0.04 or 0.1. Um, and that's really, I think, the pump here comes into the factor with the tolerability story with the controlled release. We're going to discuss some other studies. You know, when... Um, you compare products, one versus the other, usually there aren't that many head-to-head -head studies. And we always take original pivotal studies from each, each product and compare it, which is really not fair because the population is not the same, investigators are not the same, the inclusion-exclusion criteria are not the same. So it's important to do head-to-head -head studies. So the next bunch of studies that we're going to discuss really in all um, credit to ortho, they took the challenge and they did head-to-head -head studies. You don't see that many head-to-head -head studies sponsored by the industry. So the first one here is retina micro 0.04% pump versus generic retina 0.025. The idea behind is that your concentration is twice more with the uh, retina micro pump, right? 0.04 versus 0.025. So you think that irritation should be much more with 0.04, but guess what? It wasn't. So this study was done by Jim Layden at his office on healthy volunteers. So they um, compared, it was a two-week study, and they just looked at tolerability, no efficacy. They looked at erythema, skin dryness, they did chromometer studies to look at the redness, as well as uh, tool studies to look at transepidermal water loss by looking at the epidermal barrier. And there was absolutely no difference between the two groups. The generic 0.025 versus 0.04 retina micro did equally well. So basically what I'm trying to say here that because even though you have a higher concentration of the drug, the irritation was not any higher than the half of its concentration in the generic formulation. 
So again, we are in dermatology. We're in the business of topical treatment. Vehicle does matter. The microsphere formulation here does matter, and it enables you to use twice more concentration of the same active compared to the generic formulation with equal irritation, with equal tolerability. Um, what about tazaretin? Now, there is a perception in our community that if you rank the retinoids, tazaretin is the most effective one. Different is for more milder patients. It's the weaker one. And retina micro is somewhere in between. As well as the irritation, tazaretin is the most irritating. Retina micro is... Um, is somewhere in between, and different is less irritating. <clears throat> so the challenge was here to show that, uh, and I used to use a lot of tazaretin to, uh, to show that tazaretin uh, versus retinam micro point of 4%, how does it work? How does it compare? So I took the challenge. I did the study in my office. It was a single uh, site in, um, study. I was investigator blinded. I didn't know who got what. And I had 40 subjects in it, and it was a 12-week study. They get randomized either to tazaretin or the retina micro. And at the end of the 12 weeks, what I found out that basically they equally work well. Tazaretin was not any more efficacious than retina micro. However, when you look at the tolerability, tazaretin had more retinization effect in the first four weeks. So 25% more peeling with the tazaretin than compared to retina micro, and that was statistically significant. So that was the only difference. Efficacy-wise, they did well, but unfortunately, tolerability-wise, uh, tazaretin was um, more peeling at week four. Well, how about adapalene? You know, uh, adapalene is... Um, also, the perception that it's uh, less irritating, it's for milder patients. So in this case, this was done by Jim Layden. It was, a, um, it was on healthy volunteers, a slit face study. They uh, put the different point three on one side of the face and then retina micro point of four on the other side. And in this case, the, the way Jim Layden does, the patients come actually to his office every day except the weekends, and they put the drug on there, and then they check the erythema, they check the uh, dryness, and then the patient reports the irritation, stinging, and burning. So the bottom line is this is very well-controlled study. Um, and uh, when you look at the results, it's pretty amazing that actually uh, different point three was uh, more irritating, had more redness, had more dryness, had more stinging and burning. And those numbers were statistically significant starting at day 10 for erythema, at day 3 for dryness, and at day 10 at burning and stinking. So the bottom line was there was a statistical significant difference between, uh, between retina micro point of 4 and different point 3 on uh, favor of retina micro when it came to tolerability. Well, how about epidural? So this was, again, a similar study. The way it was designed, uh, it was done by Jim Layden. Again, it was 170 subjects, a very nice number of N. 
large population, pretty large population for a tolerability study. And they used uh, one pump of retina micropoint of four on one side of the face and one pea-sized amount of epidio on the other side of the face. And then they looked at the same things. It was a split face study. Again, during the week, it was applied in Dr. Layden's office. On the weekends, patients put it at home and then they reported it. So when you look at those tolerability-wise, again, retina micro was much more tolerable. Uh, erythema, dryness, was um, less starting by day three, statistically significant numbers. Stinking and burning st and itching starting by day three, again, less for retina micro point of four. So that was interesting. And, but if you think about it, you know, epidural has benzoyl peroxide in it, so it is gonna be a little bit more irritating, and so it was. And the numbers were statistically significant. So, um, and usually, uh, you know, adapalene, epidural, they were placed for mild acne patients, but if you think about it, if the irritation is more, uh, tolerability issues is with more with epidural, why not to use retina micro for even the milder patients because uh, you're gonna get better efficacy and you're gonna have less tolerability. So those are really interesting issues sort of to formulate in your mind when you treat those patients. And the head-to-head -head studies gives us a lot of um, insight about uh, how, to, uh, how to place those drugs in your armamentarium. Um, the bottom line is the pump is really important because it makes things much more tolerable. By the way, I forgot to mention one thing. I'm gonna go back here and mention it. Really, the amount of epidural was used was only one piece size. The PI of epidural, really the indication is you can use uh, about four piece sizes. So this was one fourth of the maximum amount that was used. So you can imagine how patients will be using it and probably they're gonna be even more irritated than what it is here in the study. Um, and uh, we already, I think, discussed the pump issue about the patient preference about the pump. The other thing we discussed is the facial shine and the oiliness. There aren't that many things that decreases the oiliness of the face. Um, you know, there is one product, I think it's called BPO Clinac, um, that does help the oiliness. The new topical daps on the, their vehicle is pretty effective in decreasing the oiliness but we don't have much for oiliness, decreasing the oiliness, those, what those acne patients, the decreasing that facial shine. So the microsphere technology here, it's very, very important. So they did a study, they compared the retina micro and um, versus the generic 0.025% cream. Again, it was a split face study and when they looked at it, they found out that the site that used the retina micro has less oiliness, has less facial shine. And again, this is not unique to the tretinoin. This has something to do with the microsphere technology. Just remember that. It is the microsphere technology that re reduces the uh, facial shine and the oiliness. So summary, just remember the difference. If you're gonna remember one thing today, please remember the difference between the microsphere technology, the advantages of the microsphere technology, versus the generic tretinoin. Uh, we have number one, decreased, uh, uh, decreased irritation because of the controlled release. Number two, you have um, decreased facial shine and oiliness. 
but you also, it also enables you to use the drug whenever you want, get exposed to UV light, get exposed. You can use it in combination with benzoyl peroxide, and it is not going to decrease uh, the stability. It is not going to degrade the product. I think those are the key points that I just want to get across. And if you have to remember anything, just remember the advantages of the microsphere technology. And therefore, we really have to fight for our patients when it comes to generic versus retina micro brand name. I think that's the, that's the key here. Um, that's the end of my spiel. If you have any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer.